Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, well, I'm very excited. We're very close to going into fall. And you know, that's my favorite season of the whole year. And so I'm really excited for pumpkin spice and pumpkins and leaves and all the things that have to do with the fall season. And we're in Virgo season and Libra season and Scorpio and Sag. It's, ooh, I like it. Uh, yes, uh, it is uh, a lovely season uh, that, that we are going into, and uh, we're, we've uh, hopefully saying uh, goodbye to summer of uh, 2022. Uh, you've been a, a very warm, warm summer, and uh, <laughs> uh, as part of that uh, send-off, uh, I happen to uh, go down and uh, visit uh, with Mom, and uh, we shared uh, lots of good times, and we shared lots of uh, chips and queso, and uh, we may have shared a few germs together as well. Um, and uh, so we're both feeling just a little bit uh, under the weather, and uh, hopefully you won't uh, catch too many uh, sniffles and coughs from us uh, listening to us uh, from uh, your uh, podcasting device. Um so, uh, also just want to thank you to all of our uh, loyal listeners out there, uh, all of uh, the ones that we know, all the ones that uh, we wish that we could know uh, from around this great country of ours and all over this wonderful world. And uh, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, we've got quite the party going on over here. Uh, so, uh, the way that this podcast works is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Now you, the listening audience, already know who this person is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person. But mom, do you have any idea who we're going to be talking about today? I do not. I never know who we're talking about. 
and it is somewhat frustrating and it is apparently my job to forever be guessing and trying to figure out who you have chosen. What wonderful, fantastic person from history are we talking about today? So I will do my best. Uh, yes, uh, out of your frustration comes a uh, great entertainment. <laughs> Uh, so uh, I will give that uh, information. That is the uh, mystery history guest birth date, time, and location. She will input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. I will then uh, have. Well, I won't do anything. Mom will be the one who then takes it from there. She will <laughs> uh, read the chart to the best of her ability, uh, giving us uh, the information that she can of the uh, person's uh, personality traits and uh, the fortunes of this mystery history guest. Uh, I will then reveal to her who uh, our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and decide uh, how uh, accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. All right, let's go. Uh, this is a male. All right. Born on the 13th uh -huh. of March. Okay. Uh-huh. 1911. Hmm. Okay. And do we have a time? We do. <gasps> okay. 2.01 a.m. All right. That's very specific. All right. I mean, for this time, you know, in the world. All right. And what country? Uh, the United States. All right. And where? Tilden, Nebraska. So again, this is a male born March 13th, 1911 in the United States, Tilden, Nebraska. Okay. Well, you can see this is kind of a splash chart. All right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of... Um, separation planets in almost every house interesting all right oh well this person has sagittarius rising so um that's very interesting they have sag rising at uh 20 degrees so they have sagittarius and also capricorn in their first house uh very interesting Okay. Um, okay. So we're just going to go through the, so the signs first. So this person has sun at 21 degrees Pisces, moon at 1 degree Virgo, Mercury at 14 degrees Pisces, Venus at 16 degrees Aries, Mars at 29 degrees Capricorn, Jupiter at 14 degrees Scorpio, Saturn at 3 degrees Taurus, Uranus at 28 degrees Capricorn, Neptune at 18 degrees Cancer, Pluto at 25 degrees Gemini, North Node at 11 degrees Taurus, Chiron at 3 degrees Pisces, and we have that Ascendant at 20 degrees Sagittarius which puts their uh, midhaven in Libra at 13 degrees. All right. So 
first off, I'm just going to start with um, this first house cusp <clears throat> because uh, this person has this Sag Capricorn first house. And if they had, you know, if we were doing, you know, full houses, um, then we would have a person who was probably very uh, friendly and uh, easy to talk to and uh, very easy to, uh, you know, interact with people. Sagittarius rising people are very gregarious. Uh, people like them. Um, and, that, and that's what this, this person is? Sagittarius rising. But, this is their first house. But Because you said, if we were dealing with full houses, all of this. Right, because I'm dealing with Placidus, so we also have this Capricorn element in there. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, with Sag rising in Placidus houses, you're probably going to have a Capricorn element in there anyway. But in this particular situation, we have you know, uh, 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 we're at 20 degrees Sagittarius. So mostly this person is going to be Sagittarius rising, but they also are going to have this Capricorn element about them. Okay. So for as gregarious and, and, you know, joking, uh, you know, funny, they also have this side to them that is reserved, right? So there's going to be that. They don't have any planets in the first house. So we move to the second house where we have Uranus at 28 degrees and Mars at uh, 29 degrees. Okay. Uh, Capricorn. All right. So here we have Uranus conjunct Mars and Capricorn in the second house. Very interesting. Uh, because... Um, Uranus is, uh, Uranus and Mars are both like Mars wants to, Mars is ruled by, uh, I mean, Aries, ugh, Mars rules Aries and Uranus rules Aquarius. So here we have two signs that can be very explosive in a, in a sign Two planets that can be very explosive in a sign that's ruled by Saturn, Capricorn. Okay. So that is control. So what we have here is kind of like lightning in a bottle. Okay. Because the Capricorn, they have Uranus and Mars in Capricorn conjunct by one degree. All right. In the second house, which has to do with finances and, um, values and uh things that you love things that you like um uh personal things you know things that are ruled by venus because the second house is ruled by uh venus and taurus okay so there's very interesting with this uranus in capricorn and mars in capricorn because mm, those are let me see how the rest of this plays out. So then in the second house, we also have Chiron and their Chiron is at three degrees Pisces. All right. So very interesting because this person, 
also has uh, an interception. Do you see how all of this Aquarius is right here? Not on the cusp? Yeah, so the this second Sagittarius has mm -hmm. starts in Capricorn, ends uh -huh. in Pisces. Uh -huh. uh, so there's an interception over Aquarius. Uh -huh. Over Aquarius, which means that we also have the same situation. See how all of this Leo is in here? In the but we don't have house. a house cusp. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be interesting because we're missing the home base for Leo, the sun, and for Aquarius, which is ruled by Uranus. All right. So it's it's. It's here in the chart, but it doesn't have a house cusp. So technically, this is, you know, they have a double. Oh, the interceptions are always so hard for me. I'm very confused by them. But I do want to acknowledge them and let everyone know who is, you know, a, a, a <laughs> been studying astrology in depth for much longer than I have. Uh, I am aware of them and I am studying them. And if you want to leave me comments, that would be good because I'm interested. Um, Do interceptions anyway. happen in uh, non-Placidus? No. Okay. They only happen in the house systems that give you exact, you know, it, it's, it's a very specific uh, chart. So I think I've mentioned before that we have, there's full houses and there's equal houses. All right. So a lot of astrologers will do the full house. So if you have Sagittarius rising, they start at zero and go to 29. And then your second house cusp would be Capricorn at zero and go to 29. And then all of them would do that. Right. Then there's equal houses where you would say, okay, first house cusp is 20 degrees Sagittarius. Your second house cusp is going to be 20 degrees Capricorn, right? And then that goes all the way around. So it's like that. But um, I don't want to dwell too much into it because it, I can go off down that rabbit hole and it, it, it would take me a while. So I don't want to do that to people. Um, but we do have Chiron in Pisces at three degrees, and that is in the second house which is ruled by Capricorn, all right? So we have these Capricorn planets and we have this Pisces uh, planet and we don't have any planets in Aquarius anyway. Um, if there was a planet in Aquarius here, it would be kind of, um, how can I describe it? Uh, it, it? It would be like it doesn't really have a connection, like it doesn't have a good connection, like it's not plugged in right uh -huh. you know but they have extra they have extra um you know of the other aspects where they don't have this they have extra of the other okay so chiron as we know is the wounded healer chiron in pisces is kind of at home um in 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 a way because pisces is a healer okay and this is the second house, so it has to do with finances and, and having maybe lost finances or lost valuables or lost values. And then if they're on the right track, then they are, you know, 
helping to heal with that. Um, and lessons with I, finances. Well, that would be more Saturn. So this is more a loss, like a wound. Chiron heals from its wounds. It takes the information that it gets from its wounds and then heals. But it is lessons in a way because you had to learn how to deal with that. So you are right, Chandler. Um, third house is Pisces. And in this house, we have Mercury and the sun. So this person has Mercury at 14 degrees Pisces and the sun at 21 degrees Pisces in the third house, which is communications. So having Mercury in Pisces in the third house gives this person a very poetic, artistic way of communicating and conjunct the sun Again, this person would be a very poetic or could be a singer or uh, somehow using their ability to communicate in a creative way. All right. Uh, then we have fourth house, cusp, which is Aries. And we have um, Venus at 16 degrees Aries. And we have Saturn at three degrees Taurus. Now, this person has some very interesting numbers, okay? Because you see how these are really high. This is low. These are kind of in the middle. But this is also low, all right? So all They're of the planets, uh, the, are the degrees, are either very high or very low. They're often well, very close to the cusps of everything. Yeah, on the cusp. And as I said before, a lot of astrologers don't, deal with cusps at all but um uh, you could get you know 20 astrologers in a room together and they would all have different ways that they read you know so it's up to the individual and i respect that and, and you can get 20 historians in a room and they can all have different ways that they read yes yes so it's it's very interesting and i've so. been in those rooms and i think <laughs> i'd appreciate the astrologer room a little more oh no but there's a lot of attitude just like there is with the historians there's a lot of attitude it's it's very funny um okay so venus in aries Oof, okay in the fourth house hmm very interesting because venus for a man is so he likes a woman in the house maybe uh he likes uh and his house would be his castle uh he would be very kingly there in his house he has saturn and taurus which is uh, which is lessons also with this home community uh country whatever this person is doing he's got lessons that have to do with this home and how much he loves it and loves women in his house i don't know there's something about the venus thing then he has north node in taurus in the fifth house so north node in the fifth house anything you have in the fifth house is ruled by Leo. So here we're picking up this Leo because he's got North Node in Taurus in the fifth house, which is ruled by Leo and the sun. 
So he could have a natural inclination to entertaining. It doesn't necessarily mean he is an entertainer. It could mean he likes to entertain. Uh, but there is a passion for this and it has to do with Torian things. Um, so, uh, you know, um, it could, very earthy things. It could be, uh, like foods and restaurants and, um, valuables and, uh, things like this. Or again, with this Taurus North node in the fifth house, they could be a singer because Taurus people and people who have Taurus placements, depending on where they are, make their voice really good. Um, then we have sixth house is Gemini and there's no planets in there, but that would make this person a very efficient. It should make this, if they're on the good side of Gemini, it would make them very efficient, very good at multitasking um, that kind of thing. Then this person has, uh, Pluto and Neptune in the seventh house he has Pluto in Gemini and Neptune in cancer. That's going to make his romantic life very interesting because Pluto is power and death and rebirth. And Neptune is the veil, uh, illusion and he has Neptune in Cancer, he might like women that are very uh, mysterious or, um, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Pluto in Gemini and Neptune in Cancer in the seventh house. Well, I mean, he could want a creative partner a powerful partner is any of this making any sense yeah oh okay good <laughs> i like that all right so moving to the eighth house um the eighth house cusp is also is can the eighth house cusp is cancer and uh he has moon at one degree virgo in this house. So somehow I feel like this person is a little conflicted because this Virgo moon is going to make him want, I don't know. He's not, he, he is not so in, in embroiled in his emotions. You know what I mean? Like this person needs to dissect his emotions and understand them logically in detail, if that makes any sense. And it's in his eighth house, which is the house of legacy and inheritance. And this is the mother. So maybe his mother or his mother's family has money or his mother could have passed away because it's Pluto. Uh, there's something there with the legacy and the mother and women. Um, ninth house is Virgo. He doesn't have anything in that house. Um, so his philosophies would kind of be analytical. Uh, could be medical. I mean, I always leave off the medical aspect of, uh, Virgo and kind of 
uh, I don't mean to not remember it, but there's also that, that study of like the body and medical aspects. And Midhaven is in Libra. Um, he doesn't have anything in his 10th house, but having Midhaven in Libra actually makes you kind of an easygoing career person. Like, uh, that Venus on your 10th house cusp makes it easy for you to do business or it should make it easy for you to do business. Um, he has Jupiter in Scorpio in the 11th house. So, uh, that's a lot of people. Jupiter is a lot big, you know, and also benevolent and, um, more. So here he has Scorpio on the seventh house. I mean, on the 11th house and he has Jupiter there. So it's going to make him very appealing to large groups of people. Um, and kind of sexy, uh, maybe a sex symbol of some sort, maybe, I don't know. Uh, he has, uh, Sagittarius on his, um, 12th house cusps. So here is our interception. Our interception is in Sagittarius and Gemini. So he has double Sagittarius, double Gemini, right? Because he doesn't have Leo or Aquarius house cusps, right? So he's got an extra bit of flair, this one. He's got some flair and some talkativity. He's, he's very able to talk, uh, in work and maybe also in relationships. But this um, unless the other side of, of Sagittarius, which is just beastly, like just wah, in the woods, wah, a bear, kind of a bear, a wild bear, but it could vacillate back and forth. Am I still making sense? Yes. Oh, okay. Fine. Okay. So, um, that's what I have so far. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Um, would you consider this person to um, uh, be uh, able to influence people uh, or uh, can uh, maybe even coerce people? Yes. He's got Jupiter in Scorpio in the 11th house. If he wanted to use that for evil, he could. So, but he could also use it for good. I mean, he could be very... Uh, um, Pied Piperish, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. What is his relationship to religion and spirituality? Well, that's very interesting because he doesn't have anything in his ninth house. Um, but Virgo rules his ninth house. And I mean, he could see religion as work. Um, he could work in religion. Uh, there's something about work related as far as religion is concerned, but then he's got that, you know, 
Libra on the 10th house cusp and, and Libra Midhaven, which makes it, him very kind of charming. I mean, it, you, this can go to one of, I mean, either way. I mean, this person could be, could use all of these attributes for uh, whatever they want to do, you know, without regard for people, or they could use these for good. So, I mean, having moon in Virgo makes you very analytical about your emotions. So you're not, I mean, there can be a lot of very smart criminals who could have Virgo aspects because they figure it out, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And if this is a dark side person, this Uranus and Mars in Capricorn could make them very quick at figuring out where to hide the money. You know, they could, I don't know if I'm going way off on this or not, but uh, Capricorn, Scorpio, um, this can go into an area that could be very smart and good at hidden things and hiding things and manipulation. Would just like to restate that I do not tell mom who this person is. These are all (laughs) things that she finds by looking at the chart. Yeah. I'm just looking at the chart. I have no idea who we're talking about at all. Um, what is this person's relationship with creativity? Oh, this person can be very creative. Uh, it's very interesting because the Neptune in Cancer is very creative and also can be, uh, very psychic. I mean, Cancer is different than Pisces, but it's still a water sign, you know, and it's trining this Jupiter in Scorpio, which is all, you know, the water signs are naturally very gifted. All of them are, all of you guys are, all of you water signs out there. If you have water sign placements, you're gifted. You might not know it yet, but you are. And, um, so, uh, I would think that, you know, not only that, but they have North Node in the fifth house, which is creativity and 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 performing and entertaining and leading. Uh and in Taurus, um I guess it would be maybe making money by doing this, you know. But lessons come with that because they've got Saturn there. Not conjunct by degree, but conjunct by sign. So there's something about lessons in the home, lessons having to do with women, liking women in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, what is his relationship to money? Well, he's got Uranus and Mars in the second house and Chiron. So here's what I would think, because it's in Capricorn, right? So if it's in Capricorn, and neither one of these planets are happy in Capricorn, because Uranus wants to explode, like it wants lightning, and and it's also Uranus's humanitarian, you know, because it rules Aquarius. But having Mars conjunct 
Uranus in Capricorn in the second house, this person would be very driven for money. And it could like, because he also has Chiron there in Pisces, which is going to be wounds. So there can be wounds, especially in early life uh, with regard to money and valuables. But this Uranus and Mars and Capricorn is going to be like, like a bank robber, you know, like they could be, you know, because it would be quick and, and, and driven, you know, so they, this person should have a really good, if they're a good person, then they can take that bank robber kind of mentality and use that like in corporate takeovers and stuff. You know what I mean? But this person would think about this and have it all planned out because Capricorns plan and and think and, and rehearse, you know, before they do something because they they're not. That's why I'm saying Mars in Capricorn is conflicted because Mars wants to jump and go, you know, and and Capricorn wants to think about it and plan. So it's a little bit conflicted, but. Uh, so you have uh, already talked about this a couple of times, but um, I'm going to just ask it more directly. Um, what is his relationship to women? He has Venus in the fourth house in Aries. Okay. So that is a very driven sign to have your Venus or your Mars in, uh, for men, for men having your Venus in Aries, he would, he, I mean, he could be very direct with his, um, like of women. Now I'm being careful how I'm saying this, but I mean, this person likes women. He likes the women. And he has Pluto in the seventh house in Gemini. And if he's a bad guy, then he can use all of these things he has to manipulate all kinds of stuff. You know, like this guy's got some talent in the ability to be for good or for evil. But either way, He's going to like women because he's got Venus and Aries in the fourth house. So he likes women in his house, in his community, in his realm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. He likes to be intimate with the women. Um, what is his relationship to communication? Well, he has uh, Mercury and Sun in the third house of communication in Pisces. So uh, he has the ability to be very creative in how he communicates. If he's using it with the Neptunian aspect of the veil and the illusion, then, uh, you know, he could be very good at creating the illusion 
through communication, if that answers your question. Does he have a connection to the sea? The ocean? Well, he has sun in Pisces and Mercury in Pisces and Chiron in Pisces. Uh, If they were in his fourth house, I would say, um, you know, he wants to be by the water, but I mean... I want to be by the water and I just have Jupiter and Chiron in Pisces. So I think having uh, water placements could make you want to be by the sea. Uh, He has Neptune in Cancer. He has Jupiter in Scorpio, you know, but the one you really want to look at is the Neptune and then the Pisces placements, which are ruled by Neptune. So I could see this person wanting to live by the sea. Or beyond the sea, maybe. Uh, Do you see him being a a traveling person? There's nothing in his ninth house. It is ruled by Virgo, which is a seeker of knowledge. So it is possible that he could want to travel to gain knowledge and information but there's nothing in the house to tell me, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got Jupiter in the ninth house. He's going to travel all the time, you know? Uh, if someone were to um, maybe uh, 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 crit- criticize him or um, uh, go up against uh, the uh, uh, illusion that he is uh, communicating about, what would he do? Uh, how does he handle criticism? Well, he has this Mars conjunct Uranus in Capricorn. So it, it, it could give him a very spontaneous temper. But because it's in Capricorn, it makes me think like, you know, like if it was like a mob boss and they were like going to, oh, oh, is that what you think, Vinny? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, uh-oh, Vinny's gone. We don't know where Vinny went. Vinny's gone. So it's possible. I mean, I mean, he could have. So uh, I don't there think is... this guy would let that ride. I don't think this guy would let something ride if someone was going, you know, like, oh, whatever. You know, that's just Joe. He just says stuff. No, I don't think that this guy would do that. I mean, that's like a super worst case scenario. But this Uranus and Mars and Capricorn can be very manipulative or it can, manipulation can be used for good or evil, you know, and it could come and go as this guy pleases, you know, but he's got that. Pluto and Gemini, and there's something about powerful communication and theatrical behavior and in Taurus. And, you know, there's a lot going on with this guy. Uh, Any other uh, uh, final first impressions that you have off of this chart? I will say that this moon 
at one degree Virgo is right there on the cusp of Leo. So with the Leo aspects on your moon, uh, people who have moon in Leo can be very dramatic when they're expressing their emotions, uh, throw things, act out, dark side. Uh, but either way, it can give them a very fiery temper, you know? So, I mean, I just, I mean, I can look at charts and continue to find bits and pieces, you know, for a very long time. But I mean, <laughs> when I do charts for people that I know, it's a lot easier or even that I don't know, but people that I can, you know, see them and know, you know, something about them, it helps. But I mean, when I do these blind charts, I'm just trying to gather information and try to categorize it in the best way possible. And whenever we do the blind charts, of course, I always have to do both sides because I don't know if we're doing someone who's a good guy or a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for a summary of our results? Yes. Uh, so the first thing that you said was that uh, this person could be uh, gregarious, um, but reserved. Uh, that this person uh, has elements like uh, capturing lightning in a bottle or having controlled explosions. Mm -hmm. uh, there uh, is a loss uh, connected to finances, material things, and then uh, a lesson to be learned uh, using uh, these uh, uh, financial uh, things uh, to heal. Uh, mm -hmm. He could be poetic, artistic ways of communication, uh, communicate in a creative way. He likes a woman in the house. His house is a castle. He is king of the castle. There are lessons with home and community. Lessons with love of home and community. And lessons with women in the house. Um, natural inclination to entertain. Uh, he could have a passion for food and valuables. Uh, he uh, might have a very good voice, uh, possibly a singer. Uh, he is uh, very efficient, uh, good at multitasking. Uh, he would have an interesting romantic life. He would like mysterious women. He would want a creative, powerful partner. Uh, he would not be embroiled in his emotions. He would take a more analytical view about emotions. Uh, there's a legacy tied uh, with the mother and with women. Uh, his uh, philosophy would be analytical, uh, possibly medical, connected uh, to the study of the body. Uh, he would be easygoing with his career and business. Uh, he could be very appealing to large groups of people. Uh, he could be sexually attractive, uh, seen as a sex symbol. Uh, there's an extra bit of flair with him and uh, extra uh, communication um, and uh, something about uh, this, this flair and this communication tied to his work and to relationships. 
uh, he uh, would be very influential uh, and very capable of uh, coercion or suggestion, um, but also could just be the Pied Piper of a group of people. Uh, religion is his work. Uh, he could be very charming. Uh, he is uh, could be very smart, and uh, if uh, put into a negative light, could be a very smart and quick criminal. Uh, he can use his um, char charisma, he can use all of his talents for good or for evil. Um, he, uh, if he were uh, criminally minded, he would be uh, very able to quickly hide away his money. Uh, he uh, would be very creative uh, and possibly psychic. Uh, he uh, would be very good at making money. Uh, and there are lessons in home that are tied with money and with women. Uh, he is driven for money. Uh, and there are wounds uh, regarding money early in life. Uh, he uh, could have the possibility of being like a bank robber. Uh, you'd be quick and driven, focused, uh, possibly uh, a corporate raider of sorts. Uh, whatever he was doing regarding the money and these financial things, he would have a plan in place and rehearse the plan before doing it. Uh, he uh, would be very direct with his attraction to women. Uh, he could manipulate women. Uh, he likes women in his realm. He is very creative in his communication. Very good at creating the illusion through communication. Uh, there's a possible connection to the sea. Uh, he is a seeker of knowledge, and travel may be connected uh, to uh, his seeking of knowledge. He would have a spontaneous temper. Uh, he, uh, If someone were to critique him, if someone were to wrong him, uh, he would want retribution. He would not let it slide, uh, but he might do it more discreetly, uh, more out of uh, sight of others. Uh, he uh, has a, a powerful connection to communication. Uh, he could have a very theatrical behavior about him. Uh, and he uh, could be very dramatic when expressing emotions and could have a fiery temper. Uh, did I uh, leave anything out? Anything else that you'd like to add? No, that's very good. I just want to clarify that originally because I said, okay, the moon is at one degree Virgo. He would be analytical with his emotions, but then I'm realizing, oh, okay, it's on the very cusp of Leo and Virgo, so it could be fiery. So it can go both directions, okay? When you're on the cusp like that, you have both aspects. So sometimes he could be analytical, sometimes he could be fiery. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you've been looking at? <laughs> okay. This is the astrological birth chart. Of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh. Ooh. Okay. That's very interesting. Oh, my. Wow. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about him. Uh, so, uh, for those of you, if uh, you're not familiar, uh, L. Ron Hubbard is uh, the uh, uh, man uh, most associated. He created uh, the um, belief system known as Scientology. Um, uh, Dianetics and Scientology uh, the, are 
some of the um, most well-known uh, and most recent uh, belief systems uh, uh, created uh, in the uh, 20th century. And uh, L. Ron Hubbard um, is, uh, without a doubt, uh, one of the most uh, prolific writers uh, of the 20th century. Uh, he does hold the Guinness Book World Record for the most amount of books ever written by one man. Um, so... Uh, this, uh, what I'm going to give you is what we know of the facts that can be documented. As someone who created uh, their own belief system, uh, there are people who uh, do believe in Scientology, uh, and in his teachings, uh, he told his own story uh, maybe a little bit differently than what we can have documented proof of. Uh, so uh, when uh, those uh, when the story that he told diverges from the story of uh, what the documents say, uh, I will let you know. Um, so, L. Ron Hubbard was born a Lafayette Ron Hubbard, uh, March 13, 1911, in Nebraska. Uh, he was born to uh, Ladora May and Harry Ross Hubbard. Uh, Harry uh, was uh, at that time a former uh, naval officer, and he would eventually uh, join the Navy again. Uh, they lived in Nebraska for a little while, and then they moved uh, to Montana. And uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, everyone who knew him as a child described him as a very adventurous little boy. Uh, that uh, he loved uh, playing in the mountains of Montana, uh, and uh, that, uh, you know, growing up, he was born in 1911, so there's still going to be old cowboys around, there's going to be uh, Native Americans uh, uh, around, and uh, he was very inquisitive and curious and talked to uh, everyone that he ever uh, came across about all of their uh, belief systems and uh, uh, everything uh, about their lives, and uh, had a very good memory for uh, remembering all the stories that uh, these uh, cowboys and Native Americans would tell him. Um, eventually, his father would uh, join the Navy again and uh, would be stationed in Guam. And uh, so the whole family uh, went to Guam, and uh, there uh, he uh, would uh, take trips uh, between Guam and China. And uh, uh, he uh, Hubbard uh, talks about that uh, during this time growing up, he would uh, he, uh, visit uh, with all different types of people all over uh, um, Asia. And uh, he was amazed at the squalor that they were living in, according uh, to his words, um, and and uh, was also amazed by all of their belief systems and, and how they viewed the world around them and their spiritual uh, beliefs, and uh, was always uh, uh, remembering all of these stories uh, of the people that he came across and all of uh, the beliefs systems that these people had. Um, then uh, uh, he would end up in the late 1920s uh, uh, going back uh, to America. He went to school for a little bit, but uh, Hubbard was never a very good student. Um, he uh, didn't uh, take very well to direction or uh, what teachers telling him what to do or how to study or what to study. Uh, he, uh, while he had a very good command of the English language, um, just did not uh, uh, fit in well into the scholastic system. So he often found 
found himself bouncing from school to school, uh, sometimes even going back uh, to the family as they were stationed in Guam, going back to the United States. But already in his late teens, he developed this prolific writing style that he could just crank out short stories after short stories, and he started to get some of these uh, sold into uh, pulp magazines. Um in 1932, uh, 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 he would uh, attend George Washington University. Uh, he attended there for two years. Uh, now, uh, he uh, claimed uh, that he got a four-year degree in two years from George Washington University and that the university uh, has now covered up uh, his illustrious record there. Um what the documents show is that he attended George Washington University for two years, and he was uh, not a very good student there. Um, and uh, he uh, already, again, a very prolific writer, but just uh, not someone who applied himself uh, to what was being uh, taught uh, at the university. Uh, so he left. Uh, he uh, went on to a trip in the Caribbean, and then uh, he just never... Uh, went and got back to going to school. And uh, then uh, the next year, 1933, uh, he met a, a young woman named Polly, and they got married. And uh, they had two children. Uh, they had uh, L. Ron Hubbard Jr. and uh, a daughter named Catherine. And uh, at this time is when Hubbard uh, really starts applying himself that his writing career is going to be what he's going to do. Um, so he becomes uh, what is known as a pulp writer. So uh, he writes stories for uh, these pulp magazines, uh, writes these paperback books. And uh, the way that the publishing companies paid for stories was they would pay a penny a word. Uh, wow. So uh, Hubbard uh, decided that he was going to write a whole lot of words uh, so that he could get a whole lot of pennies. Uh, he uh, was, again, such a, a prolific writer. He would just take up reams and reams of paper uh, because you'd have to write uh, 100,000 words to get $1,000. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, just just word after word, story after story, uh, he would just sit down with uh, pots of black coffee. There are even stories that say that he got a butcher roll and he uh, installed yeah. the butcher roll above his typewriter and then uh, he would just uh, uh, put it into the typewriter and just start typing entire stories on this huge roll of butcher paper. And then uh, when the story was done, he would get the T-square and he would cut off that piece. And then he would turn in these stories on a roll uh, uh, into wow. the publishing offices uh, so that he could get uh, uh, what he could out of these stories. Uh, he uh, was uh, best known for science fiction, but he wrote everything, uh, romance, fantasy, uh, travel stories, uh, uh, aviation books, uh, you name it, uh, all uh, just writing hundreds, thousands of words uh, for a penny a word. Um, Wow. And and it is during this time and and uh, that he eventually uh, uh, by the end of his writing career does hold the Guinness uh, World Record for uh, the most amount of books ever published by one or ever written by one man. Uh, he wrote all of these books under a, a number of different um, uh, pen names, um, but they all can be attributed back to him. Um, he had a he was enjoying his uh, writing career uh going between New York City and uh he had his family living in Washington state um and 
1938, uh, uh, something uh, very integral to the life of L. Ron Hubbard happens. The way that he tells the story is that uh, he was undergoing surgery, and uh, while he was undergoing the surgery, uh, he uh, uh, died uh, on the uh, on the surgeon's table. And uh, he saw his uh, body, uh, and he saw his soul leaving his body, and uh, he started approaching what looked like the pearly gates, and as he got to the pearly gates, he saw all the answers to all of man's questions. Uh, why are we here? Um, uh, uh, you know, what is uh, the purpose of life? All these things. And as he's just about to uh, ask these questions and get these answers, he hears a voice saying, it's not time yet. It's not time. You have to go back. And uh, then he wakes up on uh, the uh, on the table. He says, I was dead, wasn't I? And uh, I was dead for eight minutes. And uh, then he got off of the operating table, uh, went uh, to the closest hotel, got a big uh, pot of coffee, and turned out uh, 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 hundreds of pages of books, uh, the, uh, or, or a, a book of a hundred many hundreds of pages, uh, known as Excalibur. Um, and, uh, this book Excalibur, um, he would later go on to say that, um, of the first 14 people that read it, uh, four of them, uh, went insane and killed themselves, uh, as it, uh, held too much knowledge. Uh, one of the stories goes that he uh, uh, gave Excalibur to a uh, publishing agent, and the publishing agent gave it to the reader, and uh, they were going to have their meeting after the reader had uh, uh, read it all the way through. The reader handed Excalibur back onto the table, uh, slammed it on the table, opened the window to the skyscraper, and jumped out right there. Oh, my. None of these things are things that we can document as something that actually happened. Uh, what we can document is that um, he underwent a procedure in the dentist's office, and uh, he uh, was possibly exposed to too much nitrous oxide or, or laughing gas. Mm. And uh, as a result of the laughing gas is uh, how Excalibur became uh, uh, into being. And that uh, this is where he had his revelation that would eventually become Dianetics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 1938. Uh, he continues in his writing career. Uh, and then 1940, it is clear that uh, the United States is gearing up uh, to participate in uh, the Second World War. And uh, he decides that he's going uh, to do his part, just as his father did. He's going to uh, join the Navy. And he did in the summer of 1940. And then after the attacks on Pearl Harbor, uh, he uh, is at first uh, considered for different intelligence positions in the Navy. Um, But it is quickly discovered by uh, the naval officers that uh, Hubbard is a little bit too haughty. Um, He thinks too much of himself. Um, He is uh, always trying to impress people with just how impressive he can be. Um, that this did not make for a very uh, conducive military officer. Uh, he is given the rank of lieutenant, and he is uh, put on a number of different uh, PC ships. Um, uh, most of them staying uh, stateside. Um, and 
the he during this time uh he also uh starts to develop uh different ailments um now this is again where the story and the story that the documents show diverge uh so uh he said that um uh, he uh, suffered blindness uh, that was he was completely blind and that uh, there was uh, some uh, mortar or shell that went off and, and it left him uh, uh, crippled in his leg as well. And um, mm. that it was uh, through his uh, uh, experience and uh, and Dianetics, his, his belief in his mind, uh, that he was able to will himself to see again and to no longer be crippled. Um, the uh, documents show that he went in to uh, the naval uh, doctor um, because uh, he had stomach ulcers and pink eye. And um, oh. that uh, eventually he was treated and, and didn't suffer from the ulcers and the pink eye anymore. Um, that That is just uh, the it, where the two stories diverge. Um uh world war 2 ended and uh he didn't really have uh the uh fantastic naval career that the navy wanted him to really stick around but he did uh stay in the naval reserves until 1950 um but he decided that he was going to uh, once again uh, get back into the uh world of uh, writing and publishing um but he wasn't going to do so with his family uh that he was going to leave his family in washington state and he was going to go to hollywood and uh, so he uh, is enjoying uh, all that uh, Hollywood in the uh, late 1940s has to offer. And uh, one of the things that uh, Hollywood uh, in the 1940s has to offer is uh, a man by the name of Aleister Crowley, uh, who was a, a magician uh, and uh, uh, among many other things. Um, and uh-huh. he had a, uh, group of people around him, uh, who were, uh, Satan worshipers and, mm-hmm. uh, they were actively trying to, uh, bring, uh, the spawn of Satan into the world. And L. Ron uh-huh. Hubbard just, uh, really enjoyed hanging around these groups of people. I mean, Hey, who wouldn't? Uh, so, uh, he hangs out, uh, with, uh, Aleister Crowley and the Satan worshippers in Hollywood. And, uh, he first, uh, gets introduced to this group by a, uh, rocket scientist, uh, named Jack Parsons. And Parsons has a girlfriend, uh, sometimes called Sarah, sometimes called Betty, um, uh, Northrop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Sarah decides that she likes L. Ron Hubbard, uh, better. And uh, so uh, mm-hmm. decides that uh, she's not going to hang around with Jack anymore. She's going to hang around with L. Ron Hubbard. And uh, Hubbard uh, liked that and uh, decided that he was going to marry Sarah. <laughs> and uh, uh, even okay. though uh, Polly uh, was still alive and not divorced, uh, he decided uh, that he would have two wives. And so okay. uh, Hubbard uh, married Sarah. And is this uh, uh while uh, all of this hollywood stuff is going on is when he uh, starts to develop self affirmations uh so things that he would tell himself in his mind to try and will himself to be a better person 
Uh, and uh, mm. this is another element that goes into Dianetics, that goes into what eventually becomes um, uh, Scientology, is uh, these self-affirmations, the things that you tell yourself, the positive affirmations, that you in your mind are creating the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he starts actually writing down the affirmations, writing down all of his theories of Dianetics, and uh, it is also during this time he's still writing all these science fiction books and many authors, because uh, he's friends with uh, Heinlein and uh, A- Isaac Asimov, and they all remember him saying in the late 1940s that, you know, getting paid uh, two to three cents a word is nice, but the real money is in religion. Ooh. So even in the late 1940s, he's thinking of this. Wow. And uh, so in 1949, he starts uh, getting Dianetics all written out. And uh, by 1950, he gets it uh, published into uh, different uh, magazines and uh, makes a, his own book out of it. And it's not something that goes unnoticed. It is something that really takes the country by storm. Um, the idea of Dianetics, uh-huh. that um, you uh, have these memories uh, that are uh, repressed inside of you and they're called engrams and uh that in order to get that these memories are stopping you from being the full person that you can be and so you have to get rid of these mm-hmm. engrams these painful memories uh, through a process called auditing mm-hmm. where an auditor would sit and mm-hmm. listen to you and uh, help uh, direct you uh in overcoming these engrams and once you had talked about these engrams enough times uh you would have overcome that and once you had overcome all of your engrams you would have gone clear So the whole point Mm -hmm. of all of this auditing was to go clear. Um, And that would mean that you were a a, a completely fit person and um, uh, maybe even a possible of superhuman feats. Um, uh, because all mm. that is holding us uh, as human beings back uh, if, is all of these bad memories. Um, and mm-hmm. in 1950s America, this was sort of refreshing um, because... Uh, the state of mental health awareness at the time uh, was all very Freudian and all very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And if you were to say that you had problems uh, with the way that you thought about things to such a degree that you need to see a therapist, um, then they mm-hmm. might uh, take a piece of your brain out and uh, they might put, mm-hmm. make you go through shock treatments uh, or just put enough pills into you and tell you to drink enough whiskey with it, um, that that was going to be how you were going to solve your problems. So then you have Mm -hmm. this other way of looking at psychological problems that is therapeutic. You are talking about Mm -hmm. memories that are holding you up. Um, An auditor very much resembles a therapist. Um, This is, uh, when you put it into the context of 1950s mental health, Dianetics looks a lot better than than state institutions. Um, Mm -hmm. So it really caught on. And uh, 
uh, it caught on in such a way that he started making um, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars off of this, selling books, doing lectures, um, and in a very quick amount of time, just a matter of months, uh, it becomes a uh, bestseller on mm-hmm. the New York Times bestseller list. It is, and it stays there. Uh, the only hiccup is is that uh, he maybe gets a, a little too showy with it. Uh, so he uh, decides mm-hmm. that he has found someone who has gone clear. That uh, they uh, have mm-hmm. gotten through all of their engrams and uh, that they are uh, completely uh, cured uh, of everything. And uh, so uh, he has this big uh, uh, showcase uh, showing uh, this woman, uh, uh, a woman named, her last name is Bianca, who has gone clear. And uh, she uh, is capable of complete total recall. She can remember everything that's ever happened in her life. People say, what did you have for breakfast uh, March 3rd, 1938? She tells them exactly what it is. But then the people in the audience start asking her, uh, she says that she is a uh, physics student. And so they start asking her basic physics uh, equations. And uh, she can't remember what the basic physics equations are. Uh, And then there are a few Mm. other questions, and she can't uh, remember that either. Eventually, they tell L. Ron Hubbard to um, turn his back to her, and they ask her, can you Mm. tell us what color tie uh, L. Ron Hubbard is wearing? And she couldn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, people start to lose their faith in Dianetics after seeing what is supposed to be a woman who's gone clear, who's uh, one of the best examples mm-hmm. of this, and yet cannot achieve these very basic uh, uh, answers. Um, and so Dianetics mm-hmm. starts to lose its footing on the American uh, populace. Um, and also Dianetics was very loose in the way that people would just start their own Dianetics clubs. And uh, you could just uh, oh. become an auditor. And uh, uh, it, it, it was it had nowhere near the amount of control that L. Ron Hubbard would have liked for it to have had. Um, at mm-hmm. the same time, Uh, Believe it or not, uh, the uh, uh, Satan-worshipping woman, Sarah, who was his wife, um, well, uh, she wasn't enjoying that um, uh, L. Ron Hubbard uh, was now losing his success. And uh, she uh, started (laughs) seeing uh, one of the auditors, and uh, he started seeing uh, his 20-year-old secretary. And uh, so this uh, had a a big uh, divorce uh, kerfuffle. Uh, He took uh, the child that they had together to Cuba, and then eventually uh, they were brought back. And then uh, she uh, uh, was made to give a public statement saying that L. Ron Hubbard is uh, one of the greatest guys around and uh, that she was a little bit uh, exaggerating, which I mean, you know, uh, Satan worshippers can sometimes exaggerate things. And... uh, Maybe. So uh, uh, they uh, got the divorce settled, and L. Ron Hubbard hits like close to rock bottom. He ends up in like Topeka, Kansas. Uh, he has his uh-huh. hair grown long down to his shoulders, uh, unkipped fingernails. He tries to get the secretary to get back with him, and the secretary's like, uh-uh, mister, you're done. And uh, then <laughs> it is the secretary leaving him and him being completely destitute that then gets him to turn everything around. 
And uh, so he eventually mm-hmm. finds an 18-year-old uh, uh, named uh, Mary okay. Sue, and uh, he uh, marries her. They move to Arizona, and that is where he decides uh, uh, that the next step is to create the Church of Scientology. Uh, and that okay. Dianetics was very much this sort of, we're going to figure out what's wrong with you today. Um, you know, the, this idea of things that have happened in your life that you remember right now. Scientology was going to be trying to cure everything that's ever happened in all of your past lives. Uh, so the idea mm. of past lives starts to come into it. And that uh, human mm. beings are, uh, we are just physical vessels for spiritual beings called thetans. And that uh, the thetans mm. are, uh, uh, have been around for millions of years. And that if you do enough auditing, uh, of course you have to pay for all of the auditing sessions, uh, you can mm-hmm. uh, get back to to not only all the things that have happened in your life, not even just one or two lives ago, but there are people who are claiming that they could remember when they were a clam um, millions Mm -hmm. of years ago and that they could remember the irritation of the sand inside of them as they are trying to form a pearl. And that once you had Mm -hmm. gone through all the engrams for all the millions of years... Uh, you could then uh, uh, develop uh, almost uh, uh, superhuman abilities. Uh, because, again, this this physical realm is just holding back our natural uh, spiritual uh, capabilities. And uh, so once mm-hmm. uh, you had gone through all of this auditing, uh, you could become an operating thetan. You could become OT. And, uh, of course, all of the auditing uh, would uh, cost you money for each session. Uh, you would also have to have all of these different lessons that you'd have to go to, and all of those uh, cost a certain amount of money. You'd also need a device called an e-meter. And the e-meter uh, would be able to electronically, you hold on to these two tin cans, and uh, the auditor is the only one who can see uh, uh, the gauge on the e-meter. And the auditor asks you questions, and then if you are lying, it can detect if you are lying, and then the auditor will have to mm. go in and try and probe you with more questions as to finding out why you are lying. Um, mm. And... The the e-meter, what we have the documents for it, um, it it is about one-third of what a lie detector is. So uh, a lie detector measures your heart rate. It measures uh, uh, several different things on the body. And one of the things that a lie detector measures is the electronic impulses in your skin. And so the Mm e-meter can only measure the electronic impulses in your skin. Um, there are some people who have gone through and said that you can actually manipulate an e-meter just by pressure, just by squeezing the can tighter or looser, you can make the gauge move mm-hmm. up and down. Um, but this is now an, a, a piece of equipment that you have to buy from uh, Scientology mm-hmm. in order. So all of these things, and now with it being a church and under the Constitution, uh, exempt from taxes, he could get millions, and he did get millions of dollars uh, uh-huh. from all of this. Mm-hmm. And 
these lessons uh, are, are not, you know, it, it is easy to just look at Scientology and say uh, that this is all um, bunk, that this is all uh, just one man's greedy venture. Um, but uh, you talk to people, some people have gone to uh, Scientology uh, churches and they've only taken one lesson and that lesson changed their life and they were better for it. Um, mm-hmm. There's one story mm-hmm. I heard that uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, went to a, a Scientology class on public speaking. And that is what gave him mm-hmm. uh, the uh, courage to stand up in front of people and tell his jokes. Um, so uh, yep. there are uh, countless stories of people who have been benefited from this, that there is definitely self-help as a, as a cornerstone of Scientology. At the same time, uh, as you go up the rungs of the organization, um, there are also lots of stories of the negative effects of what L. Ron Hubbard had created. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So uh, by the early 1960s, um, all of the previous uh, bad business ventures that Hubbard had been in had started to catch up with him. He started to get in trouble with the IRS and the FBI, and he decided it would be best to leave the United States and go to the United Kingdom. And so uh, in England, uh, he was just uh, 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 treated on near God status. Um, He uh, drove around on a Harley Davidson wearing a cowboy hat and all of these uh, uh, British birds, as as they would say back then, all these ladies just couldn't get enough of this uh, uh, American Mm -hmm. cowboy man who can move things with his mind. (laughs) Um, So uh, uh, they just followed him and he got a very big following um, in England. He eventually got a country manor and uh, he told the uh, other neighbors that he was just doing some studies on plants. Um, but uh, eventually they got to see all of these young people coming in by throngs from all over the world to go to the Mecca of uh-huh. Scientology in this country manor in England. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. it is here that some of the teachings, that some of the things that uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was encouraging uh, people to do... Uh, if there are people who do not like uh, the person that you've become because of his teachings, they are suppressive people, and you need to cut them out of your mm-hmm. life. Uh, so uh, there are lots of teenagers who completely cut ties with their parents, and their parents don't know where they are, mm-hmm. and they don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they're very worried about them. And then they start talking to people in the governments of Australia and of the United States and of the United Kingdom, and all of this started to get a little bit more heat uh, than uh, L. Ron Hubbard was comfortable with. And uh, it, be- mm-hmm. it quickly became evident that he could not be on in any country. And so he had to take mm-hmm. to the sea. Uh, so uh, he purchased uh-huh. a, uh, a huge cattle ferry, is what they called it. And uh, mm-hmm. he moved the entire Scientology organization called Sea Org into international waters. Ooh. And uh, he uh, was uh, completely uh, waited on hand and foot uh, by the uh, Commodore's Messenger Organization, uh, the CMO, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, pretty much a, a harem of uh, these uh, teenage mm-hmm. and early 20s uh, women who uh, waited on him hand and foot, uh, lit his cigarettes, held out ashtrays for him, uh, gave all of his communications to uh, all of the followers. Um, 
And uh, it, when you hear stories of how this all started, he would go and talk to some of these young women as he's preparing to get to the boat. There's this uh, uh, one uh, woman who I, I've, uh, I haven't got her name on hand right here, but um, he starts asking her these questions and, and he says, when were you a captain of a boat? And uh, she says, uh, I, I don't ever remember being a captain of a boat. He goes, think about it harder. When were you a captain of a boat? And then she had this memory of being the captain of a starship uh, uh, out in the galaxy and that uh, the ship was being attacked by these other aliens and uh, that uh, uh, she uh, had to uh, maybe make the decision to go down uh, with the ship. And he said, you're one of the loyal officers, aren't you? And uh, she said, yes, yes, I'm one of the loyal officers. And uh, that uh, 18, 19-year-old girl with no uh, ship experience uh, in in 20th century uh, real world um, was given uh, the pilot uh, of her own ship in the Sea Org. Um, Okay. So that is how uh, the decisions were made in uh, in these days of, of Scientology. Uh, so once they had gone uh, to sea, um, Hubbard starts to discover more things uh, about the world, about the universe. Uh, originally, there were just a few levels of operating Thetan. There was uh, once you were OT, you were done. Then he discovered, no, there's mm-hmm. a first and a second level. Uh, during this time, he starts mm-hmm. to discover that there is OT3. OT3 mm-hmm. is when you discover that um, uh, human beings, that thetans, uh, were put onto the Earth um, by uh, the uh, intergalactic uh, criminal Xenu. And uh, that Mm -hmm. Xenu then sent hydrogen bombs to uh, uh, explode all of the thetans that were trapped in uh, the volcanoes, and that is how we became to be. Um, uh, that is what you get through, uh, on OT levels, uh, three. And then there were then, uh, above that four through six, and then even more. And of course, as if you want to get to another level of operating Thetan, you have to pay for the lessons in order mm-hmm. to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, it is during this time also that we, uh, have, uh, the stories of abuse that happened, uh, on, uh, the ships. Um, these people... Uh, would since you are now you're no longer just yourself you are this thetan who has uh, 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 thousands millions of years uh, uh, so he would have them sign billion year contracts uh, to work mm-hmm. for him for a billion years so that they could pay mm-hmm. their penance um, and, and uh, he would only pay them about uh, five dollars a day uh, or even a week, oh my. Uh, uh, and uh, making sure that they would be completely dependent on him for any food and clothing, uh, so that they could work out mm-hmm. uh, this contract, so that they could gain this higher level of knowledge. And uh, adults uh, started to meet and procreate and have children, and they would sign their children uh, to these billion-year contracts. Oh and occasionally... Um, these children, as children do, act up. They don't do what they're told. And uh, there was one occasion where there was a four-year-old a boy who acted up and uh, acted up to Hubbard. And so Hubbard had uh, him put into the anchor room where the chain was stored. 
and uh, kept there uh, for two days and two nights. Um, he was given food, um, but uh, was not given uh, any company. Not given. He, he was very scared in, in an anchor room with his chain. Oh um, uh, not given a place uh, to uh, uh, relieve himself. Um, and uh, that's just one of the stories of this time. There's another story that says that there was a woman who did not please uh, Hubbard, uh, did not acquiesce to a request uh, of any sort, and uh, so they threw her overboard. Wow. Um, as uh, uh, more and more of these stories came to be and came into light, uh, this only made things even hotter for him if he were to ever go on to shore someplace. Eventually, he decided that he had to have his own port. Uh, so uh, he decided that uh, Florida would be the best place. Uh, because once you have a port, then you can have uh, people from the mainland and you can get more people. You can get business professionals are what he wanted. Um, because business professionals mm -hmm. have money to spend on lessons. Uh, so uh, he decided that Clearwater, Florida... Uh, would be the best uh, base of operations. And uh, he uh, had this operation called Snow White. Uh, he actually uh, uh, had these reading lists of, uh, this is how the CIA infiltrates into different organizations. You go into Clearwater, Florida, and, uh, and find out who are your friends, who are your enemies, figure out how to get rid of your enemies. And uh, that is... What they did. Uh, so the town of Clearwater, Florida mm -hmm. was eventually pretty much taken over by the Scientology community. They bought up all the land mm -hmm. um, and it became an, a mecca for Scientology. All of the big celebrities would have homes there. Lisa Marie Presley, um, uh, many others uh, would make their uh, livings uh, out of Clearwater, Florida. Um, and uh, they started uh, infiltrating other elements of the United States government. Uh, now, the United States government, they're, they're fine with infiltrating and doing these things themselves, but not the, not the biggest fan <laughs> of when it's done to them. And uh, so in 1977, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's wife, Mary Sue, along with 10 other um, notable Scientologists, uh, were incarcerated uh, for uh, spying on the United States government. At the same time, uh, Hubbard decides to return to Hollywood and he is going to make his big epic movie um, uh, of uh, all of these stories that he's had, that he's written uh, uh, all these years. And he tries to do this whole big movie producer thing, but um, doesn't really have uh, the uh, materials necessary to do it. So it ends up being a big failed mm -hmm. venture. He ends up going to uh, San Luis Obispo where he spends uh, the last years of his life just a complete wreck. Um, hair grown out again, uh, uh, fingernails all long, um, a hermit uh, scared that the government is going to crack down on him at any moment. And uh, then mm -hmm. uh, he died uh, in uh, the, uh, the mid-1980s. Um, uh, and, and as the uh, Church of Scientology said that uh, he gave up his physical form to go on to that next level mm -hmm. of uh, studying uh, uh, the universe. Um, mm -hmm. L. Ron Hubbard, uh, just a, a, a fascinating human being, uh, uh, a, a person who 
Um, definitely a, a very creative, uh, communicative person. No matter if you uh, believe in Scientology or not, you you can certainly see uh, his volume of work speaks for it him speaks for himself. Um, uh, the most books mm-hmm. written by any man ever. Uh, he was a man who certainly had a message that he wanted to uh, get out to the world. Um, and, uh, the things that he has done with Scientology, uh, has, uh, helped certain people. Uh, they have, uh, gone to classes, they've gotten these self-help techniques, and in a time when, uh, mental health, uh, was in the state that it was in, Dianetics, uh, was better, um, as that that's that's the state that it was in that Dianetics was better than, than, uh, what mm-hmm. psychiatric care there was. On the other hand, uh, Scientology uh, certainly has its critics out there. And uh, there are Mm -hmm. countless stories of uh, families that have been ripped apart um, because uh, their children or the other way around. Their parents were sucked up into it and uh, abandoned their children. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, definitely an interesting man and uh, who created a lot of uh, uh, interesting things uh, and a fascinating person mm-hmm. of the 20th century. And I think a lot of who he was um, is shown in, in the stars, uh, in, in our chart here. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, Everything with communication, with money, with lessons. Uh, he would definitely argue healing uh, from that money and uh, uh, women mm-hmm. played a very large role in his life mysterious women i would mm-hmm. definitely say a, a satanist mm-hmm. wife would count as uh, as a mysterious woman um also just mm-hmm. by the way uh he uh, was able to uh uh, uh do the engrams to completely uh, forget uh, his second wife uh which i know that there are several <laughs> people out there who would like to do enough uh, auditing to forget uh their ex-spouse um but uh, l ron <laughs> hubbard was able to do that um so uh, lots of things here uh, definitely bear out who the man was. Yes. And now that I know who we're talking about, uh, a lot of things make really clear sense. Because if you see this Mercury and Sun in Pisces, right, in the third house, and you see this, this is a grand trine from Neptune to Jupiter, okay, to Mercury and the sun. Okay. So by degree, all right, they are a grand trine, which would give him all of that creative ability to write all of those things that he wrote. Now, also, uh, you know, I mean, yes, it was a business. Okay. And I don't know. I don't know the intricacies of this, all right? I only know my own experience when I was in LA. And I was approached by these young people who were part of the Church of Scientology. And they gave me the book, the Dianetics book, uh, on the street. I was on the street in West Mm -hmm. Hollywood, I think. I wasn't far, I don't remember exactly where the temple is, but I wasn't far from there and I was running an errand and uh, they were very friendly and very uh, gregarious and very 
you know, hip and cool. And uh, they gave me the book. And I remember taking it back to the apartment and starting to flip through it. And then I just started to like, just really like just open random pages. And at, at that time, I had a certain amount of information as far as past lives and a reincarnation and all the different spiritual beliefs um, that astrology, tarot, numerology, runes, you know, a little bit, a little bit of everything that I understood to be spiritual and ancient. And what, what came to me is that, oh, okay, well, he's kind of taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other and created this philosophy and religion based on all of these ancient things, but they already had a place. They already had a name. They already had a purpose. And so I don't remember why, but I, the these young people had my phone number. I guess I gave it to them when they gave me the book. I don't know if they wanted a donation. I don't know what they wanted. I don't remember. But they called me and I said, you know, I have flipped through you. And they were very uh -huh. friendly, right? Super friendly. But then when I started questioning them on things that I know because I've studied that were not part of this book because it seemed that they had not uh -huh. studied all they knew was, was what was in this book. Uh, and, you know, I have a way about me where I can have conversations with certain people who are very adamant about their beliefs. And if I question them, sometimes they get very flustered and angry and I was going through, you know, this aspect and that aspect and, and saying, well, this is this and that is that, and this is how this works. And how did it get to be like this in the book? And they kept, they couldn't answer me. And eventually they hung up on me. I was like, well, that's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? And so, you know, uh, I am not a person who is going to judge anything that doesn't hurt uh -huh. anyone else, you know, but from what I understand, a lot of people have uh -huh. been hurt by this and, you know, I try very hard not to judge, but if children are hurt, that's where my, that's where I step in, you know, and I am really sure that putting a four-year-old alone for two days in a dark anchor cabin <laughs> it, i wouldn't uh -huh. be okay with that i'm really no i would not and so uh there's you know without going into detail of how i would feel about this uh i think you uh -huh. can get the idea yeah um de definitely uh, a, a a complicated legacy uh behind him mm -hmm. um but uh definitely also just interesting and a subject that uh i wanted to look into like what what was in the stars uh when when lrh was born and i i i think right. i think we found a lot of it 
We did. We found quite a bit. And there, you know, again, he could have done all of this studying and he could have done all of these things. And I mean, I guess there are a lot of people who think this is, you know, for good and that's okay. I'm not, I'm going to try really hard to hope that all of those people who think this is really good and it's good for them, that it really is. And that none of them were, um, misled in any way and no children were harmed in the making of this Uh situation but um there are a lot of rumors and you know uh, my grandmother said with there's smoke there's fire so you know i i i I leave it at that but this grand trine with neptune in cancer and jupiter in scorpio and the sun and Mercury in Pisces. That is a lot of water. And that is also, you could think and imagine that this man really did have a certain amount of abilities, right? Because when you're tapping into that part of your brain where you're constantly writing and being creative, you're opening up aspects to yourself. Like if you do have natural abilities to receive information. So as you said, he had traveled around and he had studied all different kinds of people and, and cultures and their beliefs and everything. So he had a little bit of information about mm-hmm. a lot of things, but you can't, this is ancient information. So you, you can't just get a little bit of information about a lot of things. It takes a lifetime to study all of this, you know? I mean, I've been studying astrology in one way or another for a very, very long time. And right now I'm kind of focused on interception. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> and that's not even, you know, I mean, I can get, I can do all the readings that I need and I can answer the questions that people have pretty, pretty easily. I mean, most people have, um, you know, immediate need questions, you know, so it's, it's, it's fine, easy to do that. When you get into the real intricate aspects of astrology and, and you do the history and all that, it you could study it all your life and still not have all the information. Right. So it's impossible to think that this man could just pick and choose what he wanted to put into his basket to offer. But I mean, this isn't, I mean, clearly this happens a lot, but. Hey, you know, if he was into it for the you know, and that's and what the the, the stuff in the he, he, he got in the what second he wanted half, out of you know, it. driven, uh, making the plan about the money, the fact that yeah. before you know, ten years or so before all this really came, the real money is in the religion, and that he remembered mm-hmm. all this stuff from his early life. He may not have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, been a Buddhist monk, but he got enough out of his conversation with one to put a little bit of that and a little bit of right. this to make right. something that could yes. then, if his focus was on the money, he, he certainly did achieve yeah. that. Well, North Node in Taurus in the fifth house, he, he absolutely did. That's what he was driven to do. But I mean, at the same time, we all have choices and we can all decide what we know is right and best and clearly his behavior in just the few things that you've said was Mm -hmm. not right or best and there is no excuse for that behavior and i'm pretty sure there's a lot worse stories than those 
Uh, well, uh, that brings us to uh, the conclusion of uh, this episode of History and Ritual Grade. I uh, hope you, that uh, you enjoyed uh, this episode. And uh, if you would like to uh, reach out uh, uh, and uh, talk to us about uh, maybe ideas for future episodes or how we did uh, with this one or uh, others in the past that were maybe a little lighter, um, uh, please do so. We have links to our social media um, posted in our show description uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account uh, every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and spreading the word uh, about uh, this show to uh, get a, a better audience or a, a grander audience I mean and uh, also if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest we can do that for you we have a link uh, mm-hmm. to uh, my mom's uh, email address Chandler's mom at history and retrograde.com you can get with her and she will go over all the details on how uh, she can uh, read your birth chart or uh, maybe a sinistry chart between you and that special someone Uh, she uh, can uh, help you with that Uh, mom is there anything else that you'd like to add I just want to say thank you all so much for listening and I really am enjoying doing the different kinds of charts that I've been doing and once again if you email me and I don't get back with you right away I'm getting to it just as quickly as I can and also check your spam because maybe I did answer you and it did go into your spam but um, I am currently now looking at uh, setting times for people in October. Uh, all right. Uh, so, as always, in conclusion, uh, thank you all for listening. As long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything's going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.